0: This morning, I uh, had planned on this message, just several, well, it's been in my heart, you know how it is, sometimes I get to meditating upon something and go down roads and paths and not really know where I'm going to, have you ever done that before, if you've ever just been out walking and you want to see where something is, or driving, uh, but unintentionally you say, I wonder where this goes to, you have that little curiosity thing, and sometimes it's that way in the scriptures, Uh, oh, you know what, hold it, before we go, I think we have a couple of... Where's Jeremiah? Jeremiah, where's Giselle? You know what they? I, I like to allow children when they learn scriptures. I like to hear them say it. Amen. I think it's important. So anyway, we have two two uh, children this morning, brother and sister, that have a, a scripture that they want to share. Jeremiah, you know, he was uh, he wasn't a bullfrog. He was a prophet. Jeremiah. <laughs> Y'all remember that song, but Jeremiah is a little prophet of God. So, Jeremiah, what's the scripture that you want to share this morning? Tell me what it says. God's ways is perfect. Amen. God's ways are perfect. That's good. Giselle, lead us in the Lord's Prayer this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Now you can go back and enjoy children's ministry. Amen. Praise God. So I, I started thinking about something, and over the past several weeks, you know, I began talking about um, just some words that were very important to me, and I spent a lot of time a number of years ago on the study of the word shalom. Shalom. Uh, words are powerful. When, they, when we understand what they're intended to be, they can make such a great difference. One word can change your life. And so I, I try and you know, pull out everything that I possibly can out of one word. But talking about the word shalom and then also sozo, a few weeks ago we talked about what it means to be saved, healed, delivered, uh, blessed, and prosperous, and, and well Uh, And then I I got off on another word that I'm going to talk to you you about this morning. First, let's look at the scripture this day. I want to look at uh, Philippians, the first chapter, uh, verse 6. It's a great verse, and uh, Paul, who uh, was a very well-educated man in the scriptures, uh, in the Old Testament scriptures, had a conversion with the Lord. He had an encounter with God on a road to Damascus that totally changed everything, and paul was uh at one time thrown into a jail at philippi and you remember the story about that how they at at midnight they began to sing praises he and silas and as they praised the lord there was an earthquake that opened up all the cells and all everything that was there and the jail keeper who was there thought that he would be put to death because these prisoners are going to escape paul told him he said don't worry man we're still here and as a result of that, he went to the jailer's home, ministered to them, and from that ministry, from that day, there became a church uh, in Philippi. And so later on, Paul, as, a, as an apostle there, he had written a, a, a four-chapter uh, letter to them to encourage them, and this is one of the things that he says. And I'm sure that what he wants them to understand that... Uh, you, you, you know that the Paul had the attitude. He said, I'm, "I'm convinced that all the chains, all the beatings, all the everything that I went pro, uh, went wrong. It seemed in my life, all ended up for profitability for the gospel to be shared." He looked at that type of attitude, and we don't always have that attitude, do we? I mean, I've been that. I, I can be the leader of that one you wonder why in the world am i going through this but his, this is what paul says he wants to encourage them he said i am certain it means it, i don't sway off of this i know by all means without a shadow of a doubt that god who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when christ jesus returns i'm confident i'm certain Uh, There's no movement, no swaying, no thing. I believe that what God started, the good thing that he started in your life, he's going to complete it. Amen. So this morning I want to talk to you for a little bit, and this is what I've kind of selected as my title today. Uh, In fact, we sang it this morning, I believe, in one of the songs. Uh, But if it's not good, he's not done. Right? Everybody say that with me. If it's not good then he's not done. Amen. And if I can leave you with that today, maybe it's been something that you've been through, maybe you're going through it now, or maybe you'll face it at some point in time. I want you to remember this, that if things aren't going good, it's not the end of the story yet. Amen. It's not the end. We need to hold on to that. Just like Paul says, I'm certain no matter what you go through church at Philippi, whatever it is, the good thing that he started in your life, he's going to accomplish it, he'll complete it, he's going to bring it to pass, and you're going to celebrate that. Amen? Uh, so we have to understand that there's a process by which things happen. That there are things that go on in our life and we don't quite understand them. We may, not, we may have confusion, there may be all types of things going on. We may question, why God, why? Why? Or has anybody ever asked God that in your prayer? Come on, why, God, why, right? Just me and Dr. Brett, just you and me. We're the only ones that's ever had. <laughs> No, really, you've been there before. Why, God, am I going through this? Why is this happening to my child? Why is this taking place? What in the world went wrong? What are you thinking, God? Or when, God, when? You know, you got one of those things that you're holding on to and you think that it'll never happen and and what do you do when you get your hopes up and it feels like somebody just pulled the rug right out from under your life and there you are wondering trying to get back up again and we have a question oftentimes what's going on but we have to trust in the process that God is involved in I chose this uh, I was looking about uh, looking up pictures for God's not finished or he's not finished and uh, one of the pictures that came up there was a was an illustration of the cocoon, which Tess spoke about last week, talking about the process that we go, that the, the the cocoon begins at that point, then the caterpillar, and then finally, when it's all said and done, the butterfly appears. We have a process by which God does something. You're not the finished product yet. Amen? Amen? You're not the finished product, and God's not completed with you. So what I, I was thinking about this, and I I asked Stephanie to look up on the computer, and I happened to see a wheel, a uh, potter's hands there with that. And I said, that's good, because I couldn't think of anything. And she, she looked that up, and this is what it, uh, this picture came to mind. And, you know, it's kind of like we're, we're in a potter's hands, right? That we're on the wheel. Sometimes it feels like we're just spinning. We don't understand what's going on, but the, the potter has got us in his hands. Amen? Amen. Come on, give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. This morning, I want us to look for just a moment to Genesis, the 11th chapter, in light of this. Remember, God had created everything in the beginning, and we'll refer to that in just a second, but mankind, as humankind, has gone on for a little while, and God begins to uh, call out someone who's going to be the father of all the faith, uh, Abraham. The Bible tells us that, that Terah, who was uh, Abraham's father, or Abram's father, one day Terah took his son Abram and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child. And they moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. It's a city of the Chaldeans that was there. And he headed for the land of Canaan. Now this is important here. Terah, who is the father of Abraham, father-in-law of Sarah, the grandfather of Har- Haran, moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. Something was inside of him that drew him out of where he was at. And he was headed for the land of Of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. And Terah lived for 205 years and he died while he was still in Haran. It's an interesting thing, that story there. Uh, A couple of things jump out in my mind and I haven't always considered them. I always talk about how Abraham went out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. But the important thing that we understand is that Abraham didn't initiate this. This is not where God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to go out of there. But actually, it was already in his father's heart to get out of where he was at. And the Bible tells us that uh, if you read a couple of verses prior to that, that Abraham, and we see there, I'm sorry, that Terah had another son, not just Abraham, but he had another son by the name of Haran, of whom was the father of Lot, and the Bible tells us that Terah lost his son, Haran died, or Haran, however you'd like to pronounce that. He died at that place. You know, sometimes grief and sorrow has a way of grabbing a hold of us. I don't know if he wanted to get out of the memory of what, where, where things were. Sometimes we run away from problems that we can't ever escape. Are you with me? But during the grief and the loss of his son, Haran, he set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now, how many of you know what the land of Canaan is, right? It was the land that became known as the promised land, the land that God told Abraham. He says, come on out of this place, and I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you. And so Abraham gets a little bit more of an idea of where he's going to go, but it was already in his father's heart where they were going to go. It wasn't known as being the promised land to Terah, but he felt something to say, get out of where you're at and I want you to go to the promised land. That's what we know what he would get when he got there. So he set out to do what was probably in the heart, in the heart of God for his, for his people, to get out of where they were at and to go to the promised land. How many of you know that God wants us to get us out of where we're at to take us to the promised land? Thank God he did that through Jesus Christ, took us out of the world of darkness, out of the world of which we live, to take us to a better place. And I'm not just talking about the pie in the sky, heaven. Are you, ta- you know what I'm talking about? That's going to be a great day, but God wants you to celebrate here on earth. Yeah. Amen? He's got good things in store for you while you're here. Amen? Amen. And for whatever reason... Terah makes it as far as Haran, and he stops, and he stops. Now if you look up the the word Haran or the name, we know that it's the name of a man who was the son of Terah. It's also the name of a place that they had settled in, a city, and there's no connection. It's not like one was named after the other. This was the name of this place. But for whatever reason, sometimes, have you ever noticed that we can't get any farther? Because wherever we go, there's a, a memory that keeps coming up and gnawing and nagging at us. I don't know that this is the reason that Tara stayed uh, in that place. But he went to the place that was called Haran. And he says, I can't go any further. I just, I, I got to stop right here. Maybe he felt content knowing that he's in a city that was, has the same name as his son that he lost, but for whatever reason, he felt like he was stuck in that place. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing, uh, you, you know, in my heart, things in my heart, uh, but I remember saying uh, one of the declarations that I give out every day uh, and I'm amazed at different people that respond to that, what it means to them. But a couple of, I think a nine or ten days ago, I talked about, what, have you ever felt like you've been stuck? And I said, I declare over you and your family that you, are, you, that you get unstuck. Now, you have to understand where this came from, a place in my life, which was an experience. And it happened out here on the, the drainage ditch in the back here <laughs> last year, all right? So last year I was out there mowing, it was a wet time, and if you don't watch yourself, you'll get pulled into the ditch. And I had to I tried everything I could do. I tried to pull it out. I tried everything I could possibly do. I was afraid to get my car out there because I thought my car would then get stuck, and I didn't know what to do, but I called on Fred. <laughs> and Fred came out and we found something with his truck, he was able to pull me out of the ditch. And so I, 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 I use that uh, as just saying, don't be afraid to call out for somebody to help you when you're stuck, amen? If you ever get stuck in a position, don't be afraid or don't be embarrassed uh, because you're not the first one that's been stuck. I'll use Garner, he's out of town today in a, in a business uh, conference, but anyway, Garner called me up last week, 7.15 in the morning, and he said, Pastor, he said, everything's okay, and I always wonder what's leading up. You know, everything's okay. It's one of those kinds of calls, 7.15 in the morning, everything's okay. And he says, uh, it's, everything's all right. There's nothing hurt, nothing. And I'm like, oh, no. And he says, I'm just stuck. And I'm thinking, where are you stuck? And, he, uh, and I asked him, I said, where are you stuck at? He said, in the ditch by the, or actually over by the pond. And I'm like, 7.15 in the morning you're mowing. And he said, I've been out here since six o'clock. And anyway, got on a slippery slope there. And what happens is it just pulls you right there. If you try and mow too close so you don't get there. Anyway, he started sliding over back wheels, got in there. And before long, he just couldn't get out. And and he says, I am so embarrassed. And I said, well, you should be. No, (laughs) I did not say that. I said, Garner, believe me, you're not the first one that's been stuck before. I guarantee almost probably 90% of the people that have ever been on the moors and been out here on this property and tried to mow, they've been stuck at some point in their time. It's not a big deal. Don't be embarrassed about it. And don't, I'll be there and we'll help you, I'll help you get out. So don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid to ask somebody for help. And don't forget that feeling of appreciation when you're finally unstuck because you might meet somebody else that's stuck in life. Amen? Amen. So sometimes we, we get stuck and when we do, we just keep spinning our wheels thinking and all it does is just keep driving us in. And, and, and so sometimes we get to a place where it feels like we're spinning our wheels and, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And so I think about Tara there. You know, maybe the he says, guys, let's let's just stop here for a while. I, I don't think I can go on right now, but let's just stay here. Maybe he's wallowing in the grief and, and the s- sorrow that he had felt with the loss of his son. Maybe he felt comforted by the place where he was at, but for whatever reason, he just stayed there. The Bible even says he settled there. He settled. I guess if I would have given advice to any of the, to anybody here today, especially to the graduates, is don't settle. Just don't settle. You know, you were made for more. You were made for better. You don't have to settle for what th- where things are at. And don't give up. I think was one of my uh, declarations this week is to never give up. You might be tired. You might be weary. You might be discouraged or disappointed, but you've come too far to turn back now. Amen? How many of you have come too far to turn back now? Amen? Praise God. And. What I looked at is I thought, Tara wasn't even stuck. He wasn't even stuck. He just stopped. He stopped. There was nothing holding him there but his own self, his own feeling, his own emotion, his own condition, whatever. It's not like he was dying and says, I can't go on. He lived 205 years later before he passed away. He chose to settle in a place that he was not destined for. And so many times, people stop short of what God has. Even in spirituality, some people settle with just being saved, as we understand it, to be, have a, a home in eternity. There's more to salvation. That's why I was talking about sozo. It means you can have salvation of your body, your soul, your spirit. Amen? Saved, healed, delivered, prosperous, Amen? God wants you to be successful. That's why Jesus came, to bring salvation, which is the word sozo, so that you don't have to go through this life saying, well, one day I'll be in heaven. He wants you to be happy. Amen? He wants you to have shalom here. Amen? Wholeness, completeness, prosperity. Oh, man, that's what God has in store for us. That's why that word shalom is so powerful. I was thinking about a guy by the name of... uh, I'll just tell you first. He was a a young man who had lived most of his life with with things bigger than what were uh, imaginable. Okay, and it's not Walt Disney. He was one of those as well. Uh, You know, isn't it a shame that Walt Disney didn't put Disney World out here? Because he was going to. That was the original intent was to put uh, Disney World, and it ended up in a swamp land that nobody think could happen down in Florida. But it was it was projected to be put here. Legoland was supposed to be here. We've lost out on some opportunities for whatever reason. Somebody, the moving, movers, movers and shakers need to get born again spirit-filled and be dreamers again. Amen. Amen. This is kind of funny too, though. Everybody always asks, where did it get the name Pontoon Beach? Where did it get that name? So I've done a lot of research on where it got that name, and... Uh, Eric Lotz and I used to call it a city that's built on a lie, you know. (laughs) But what what I found is there's a couple of different theories, but actually on newspaper ads back in the 50s, they were promoting Pontoon Beach. This area out here was not known as Pontoon Beach yet, but they were projecting it as a little getaway, and people built little houses, uh, lake houses out here along the way, and it, it was inviting people in St. Louis to come on over here, enjoy some rest and relaxation here on the lake, and they called it the beach. And some of the places, they had docks that were on a on a, a so that it would go up and down and there was one that said that there was actually uh, over pontoon road there they called that pontoon road it was actually a bridge that went across the lake there with on pontoons so there's a lot of things that made it but it, it in any way it's kind of fallen short of it what it was intended right somebody lost sight of it are you with me i'm I don't know where I'm going with this. But anyway, it could have been better. Don't settle, all right? So anyway, the, uh, uh, Disney wanted to put the property here. He ended up going to Disney World, and people thought at that time you'll never do it. And finally, when they dedicated that, I think in 1970 or something like that, Walt Disney had passed away, and one of the people there asked Mrs. Disney, they said, uh, wouldn't it be great? What do you think your husband would say if he could see this? And she looked at him and he said, he did. He did see it. It was in here before they ever saw it. Amen. There was something inside of him that he saw what it was going to be. A visionary to see beyond where the circumstances were, what the conditions were. He didn't see the swampland. He saw the, the, the economy booming and, and busting. Amen. So there was a young guy who was, a, who was considered to be pretty much a dreamer, an imaginer. And he always wanted to be uh, an inventor. Uh, early 1900's he came from a poor family Uh, later on he got a job and got a place of his own it was a little shack and in the shack it had in the back, I'm sorry a little house and in the back it had a shack that he converted into a workshop and there he would go back and begin to think about the things and, and try and make what the things he saw in his mind actually happen so this guy, his name was Henry, lived in Michigan And he had something about transportation. He always liked to see people be able to get from one place to the other easily. And so with a bicycle thought in mind, he actually devised, or designed rather, a a four-wheeled bicycle, which he didn't know what to call it. He called it a quadricycle. And so anyway, it was like a car. on on four wheels that you could transport from one place to the other. Eventually, he then made an engine and mounted to that, and it became the automobile that we understand. Within 10 years, I think he had uh, built 10 million Model Model T Fords from that place, and it's transformed Michigan, right? Right? Amen? And so anyway, uh, he wouldn't stop. He had dreams and he had visions. He wanted to do the unimaginable. So he had built this little quadricycle inside of his shack only to realize, now sometimes you get ahead of your dreams and you don't look at your current circumstance. So he built this thing, then realizing he couldn't get it out the door. (sighs) Are you with me? He said, the door's too little for what I've made. You know what? There's a lot of people I think we need to understand that sometimes you just got to bust out. Are you with me? So what he did, he says, I just got to bust out because this thing needs to get out there. And I believe some, there are some people that God's put something bigger inside of you than what's there. And all you got to do is just pray for breakthrough. Amen? Amen? Amen. God wants, oh, somebody get happy about that today. Some of you all are just sitting and you're, you're hanging out in Heron. You don't have to. It's time to move to the promised land. God's put things inside of you that might be bigger than your circumstances, your situations, or your surroundings, but it's inside of there, and God wants you to bust out. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants you to prosper. So, anyway, I was sharing on on Wednesday night uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'd been looking at the word good. Just the word good. I don't know why it came in my mind, but I started to do a little bit of a study on it. And obviously, when I say the word good, there are a lot of things that come to our minds. If you look in the dictionary, it means it could be better or well. Uh, It could be precious, beautiful, something that's cheerful. And these are the things that we kind of like know what good is. Uh, And we use it oftentimes in different ways. And (sighs) like... Uh, I went to a couple of games this week. One was good. You say, why was it good? Because they won. The Cardinals won. That's a good game. Well, if you were a Dodger fan or a Milwaukee fan, whatever, it wasn't a good game, right? So how many of you know it's, it's, it's subjective and it comes from perspective? And a lot of people will say, you know what? Uh, we have to, uh, that, that, that was a good movie, And you'll talk to somebody else and they say, I hated that movie. I slept all the way through it. Or somebody might say, oh, you need to read this book. It was really good. And somebody says, I don't want to read that book. There's nothing about it that appeals to me. Or have you ever been referred to a place to eat? Right? And here's what gets me is that they say, first off, I want to know who they are. Right? Who are they that said this was good? I went there and it was lousy. Right? Right? So a lot of people, and you may say something is good, and to somebody else it doesn't. doesn't sound good, amen? It doesn't appeal. Good, oh, here's a good cup of coffee, you know? Uh, here's a good movie. It's a good song. Man, that's a good song. I don't like that song. I don't like that book. Oh, he's a good person. Well, I don't think so, you know? And, and so somebody says, man, he is good looking, you know? And you go, <laughs> you know, they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Well, so is the things that we judge and value. The things that we evaluate is according to our perspective and where we're at. And we, there is no measurement about where something is good. And oftentimes we get lost in this whole thing. And, and uh, anyway, it's like this, this word tobe. Uh, it's t-o-v but it's actually pronounced like with a b but tobe is the word good that we can find in the scripture the first use of it we have to look back and we see that it was in genesis the fi- uh, first chapter verse four it said and god saw the the light was good god saw that the light was good in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was about form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Spirit of God hovered upon the face of the water, and God said, let there be light, and light appeared, separating the darkness from the light. And God looks at the evaluation, and he says, that's good. Right? That's good. There's a separation of light and darkness. In fact, every day that God goes through in his day of creation, he pronounces what he has done as being good, or told. And so we have to understand that that Tob must be good, must be measured by what God considers good. Are you with me? We can't go by what our neighbors think are good or what we personally think is good. We have to go by what God thinks is good. Somebody might say, oh, this would be a good opportunity. But is it a God opportunity? Good is only good if it's God. Come on, amen? Amen. There's a good chance of this. Well, is it a God chance? Is it what God wants me to do? Because if it's not God, then it's really not going to be good. Amen? So when God looks at this, the word and the understanding that the Hebrews have of what good is, or tobe, means something that is capable of. When God God looks at the, the light and the darkness, and he says it's good, it was capable of doing, it's presently engaged in the process of. So the good was the beginning. It was a process by which God was going to complete at the end of six days. Are you with me? At this place, he says, okay, for day one, this is good. We have day and we have night. That's good at this point, but we're not done yet. So God, if it's not good, he's not done. Right? The word good means it's been destined for. It means completely fulfilling the divine purpose for which it was created. That's what God calls good. is when something that actually uh, uh, fulfills the purpose of which it's been created. They consider the word good, according to God's standards, as something that is functional, functional. Something of functionality. Are you with me? Now think about this, we go on a few pages, a few days later, and God put, puts man in the garden, and he tells him about all the trees that are good for fruit, good for eating, good for this, good for that. You can eat of this, the tree of life, but don't eat of this one because it has the knowledge of good and evil. Are you with me? And the word evil is the word ra, and I wasn't going to go there, but the word ra means it's dysfunctional. Evil is dysfunctional. Anything that is not accomplishing the purpose for which God has created and designed it that he wouldn't call good as functionality, it's dysfunctional. How many of you know evil can be all kinds of things? It might be acceptable. It might be the thing that everybody does. But it's not functional in what God designed. That's why God says things can be, or Paul says things might be permissible, but they're not profitable. It's dysfunctional. How many of you know we live in a world of dysfunction? Amen. Well, God separated dysfunction from the very beginning. When there was chaos and chaotic conditions, darkness all upon the face of the deep, light came forth, truth came forth, and separated the difference between what is light and what is dark. We have the same comparison in our life. Peter says we're not children of the night, we're children of the day, amen? We've been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's God's desire for us. That's the functionality of everything, is being what God calls good. We live in a very broken, broken world, don't we? We hear things and it just makes you wonder what what could get worse. And then something does get worse. We see dysfunction within homes. It didn't take long after sin entered mankind in the beginning when Cain slew his brother Abel. Dysfunction. Dysfunction. Throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of dysfunction because of evil that's there. It's not what God had intended. It's not what God had intended. Are you with me? So we live in a broken world, totally non-shalom. That's why Jesus came, was to bring shalom, to bring back to where it was supposed to be. God wants to bring us back to the future of what he has for us. Amen? Broken world, broken people, broken lives, broken dreams, broken heartaches, broken, dysfunctional. That's the kind of world that we live in. But in the midst of it all, we understand that Romans the eighth chapter, verse 28, Paul says, "I'm persuaded <laughs> that, that um, we know that all things work together for the tobe of the called of God, according to His purpose. We know that in all the things, the brokenness, even in the dysfunction that we have here, God's working everything out to restore, redeem, revive everything that god has done in the midst of your heartache it doesn't matter where you've come from it doesn't matter where you've been in life it doesn't matter where you grew up it doesn't what doesn't matter what your past is god says he's working all things together for your good the good of what he designed for you to be you might be feel like you're trapped like henry ford i'm bigger i got something inside of me that's bigger than the place that i'm at right now well bust out and let it happen amen God's put dreams inside of you. He's put greatness inside of you. They also understood that the understanding of Tob was pronounced when God made the trees, or actually he told the earth to give up the vegetation. And everything that grew out of there grew up with the capacity of, of producing another generation. The seed was in itself. Are you with me? So the trees that grew had fruit, and inside of the fruit was for eating, but the seed was made for planting. And so that's why we have to understand that God's God's desire or God's idea of good may not look so great right now, but it hasn't produced. But if it produces on and on, then it's good. Are are you with me? Some of you have seeds inside of you that all you need to do is plant them in faith, sow them in faith, and believe that God's going to bring it forth. Anything that doesn't accomplish what God's design was in the beginning when he said it was good is dysfunctional. Any plan, any order, any type of thing. If it's not what God had intended, it becomes a dysfunction. In the midst of dysfunction, the only way we can get out is through redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? You have to trust in the process that God takes us. Sometimes I don't know, I don't know where you're at in the process of where you're going. I'm not in the place where I know, but I have to trust the process that God's got something better in store. Amen? How about you? And so I, I've given to you, I want to give you three things today, real quickly. Three things that you need to stick with the process that God has for your life. Three things that you have to stick with. Number one, humility. Number two, hunger and a hope. Humility hunger, and a hope. Those are the things that will keep you going to make you make it through the process of where you're at to what God has for you. I don't want to look at humility the first. First thing you have to go is if things aren't good, just know that he's not done working in you. No matter what you're facing and how things appear at this moment in time, he's not finished working in you. It doesn't matter where you've done. It doesn't matter uh, where you've been or what you've done. It doesn't matter. You may have blo- God considered your failures before he ever called you. He knew what you were capable of. The psalmist says that you knew our frame. You knew what we were made of. You knew everything about us. He considered, he considered even our stupidity, <laughs> right? We don't like to admit that. How many of you have ever done stupid stuff in your life, Right? How many of you know that Terah didn't have to stay where he was? He just chose to stop. So anybody who stops before they get to what God has for you, you're living in dysfunction. It doesn't matter what you're you're trying to do. It doesn't accomplish what God wants to do. So you're living in a world of dysfunction, trying to make the best of it. Ooh, it's powerful. But we have to humble ourselves. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says... uh, Dearly beloved uh, brothers and sisters, I plead with you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. Uh, uh, and be, don't be uh, transformed. I have a different trans, translation up there. I can't read it. Anyway, that you might prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What do we do? We have to present our bodies. We have to say, God, you know better than I do. I don't understand this, but God, I'm willing to give you my all. I'll give you my everything. I'll surrender my whole life completely to you, knowing that I can trust in your process and trust that you have something better in store for me than what I could ever imagine or dream upon my own. But you've got to humble yourself to God. I like what Peter said. He, I wrote a song a long time ago that uh, one of the bridges, it talks about, well, actually, it goes like, I'm not too big in L.A. or Nashville, Tennessee, and Vegas lights don't shine uh, my name tonight on their marquee, Paramount and M- MGM could keep their leading roles, but, only ho- but even Hollywood doesn't look so good when heaven is your goal, amen? Got my sights where I'm going, nothing here could ever take its place. I see the lights ahead are glowing, and I don't ever want anything here to stand in my way. And the bridge goes like this, Some, uh, humble yourself in the hands of God, and in his own time, he'll lift you up to a higher plane that you could ever climb. Some place their lives in the hands of the world and then suddenly they fell. But I'm going to take my chances and put all my plans in whose hands the world is held. Amen. Amen. Humble yourself before God and He'll lift you up. Amen. That keeps us going. We can see what the good things are and we can have that confidence. I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to put myself in God's hands and He has something better in store for me than what I'm seeing. And some people lose the hunger. I don't know if Tara got to the place where he reached Haran. He says, you know, I'm tired, I'm getting old. But, man, he lived 205 years longer. But I believe he probably just got to the place where he settled because he lost the hunger inside of him. I like to watch those movies where people come back. That's why Rocky was so popular, yeah. right? It wasn't good enough just to have one. you got to have two, three, four, five. You know, how many how many of you have ever watched the Rocky Marathons? Oh my goodness, isn't it great? Oh, they're awesome, man. I just like to take a whole day and watch it. You know? The eye of the tiger, man. He's out there and he's old and slow and everything. But boy, he gets it going. He gets that hunger inside of him, something that motivates him to come out there. Amen. And then, of course, we got creed. And then we got creed, you know what I mean? Don't lose that hunger. Don't lose that thing inside of you that God's put inside of you. Hunger for what God has. I long for what God has. If I'm not satisfied with where I'm at, I know he's not done. And I'm hungry for what he has in store. Amen? He's working in us. He's working inside of us. Don't don't, Don't lose the hunger that he's also working for you. I like these two scriptures. Let me read them here. I don't have them given to you, but I want to look at them this morning because I was thinking about it. Psalm thirty-four, uh, verses seven through ten. I don't. Do I have that? Is that up there? Oh, I can't read it. Okay. verses, verses seven through ten. The angel of the Lord. Encamps all around, all about those who fear him, and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps around about you if you fear him, and he delivers you. And I like what he says: "Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good." Amen. Taste it and see, man. You get to that place where you you think you're stuck, but man, you can taste it. I'm getting close to that throat roll at Sikeston, Missouri. You know what I mean? I can tell you, we were talking about that at the the table last night. Teresa was showing Micah what they do at Lambert's, you know, and she tossed a roll to Mike, you know, and I was like, I want some with molasses and butter all over it. Just running all I could taste it. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him and in his process and in his goodness. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no lack or want to those who fear him, young lions may lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Don't lose the hunger that you have. Psalm 84, 11, I like this one. It says, for the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he uh, uh, withhold from those who walk uprightly. If it's not good, he's not done. I'm hungering for what God has. James 1.17 says, uh, "The uh, the Father of lights, in whom there is no var- variableness or shadow of turning," Amen. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God, who is the Father of lights, not the Father of lies. The father of lies will tell you it's not good, but the father of light says, I'm not going to withhold anything from you. Jesus uses the illustration whenever he's talking about this. He says, you know, we have earthly parents who do their best and they want to have the best for their kids. And he talks about the father. He says, come on now, you know how it is. Even with evil, he's saying dysfunctional. Dysfunctional people in a broken world still love their kid and they want to give to them something of good. They pass it down something good. How much more does your heavenly father want to give good things to those who love him? God has good things in store. If it's not good, he's not done. He's not done working in you, and he's not done working for you. He has presents and gifts and things he wants to put in your life that you're, he's waiting on you to accept them. Amen? I, I guess I'm getting old. I'm liking where I'm going, whether you do or not. <laughs> it's good. Thank you. <laughs> she said, it's good. Somebody would go out here and say, that was a good sermon. Somebody will say, really? <laughs> It's a good sermon. Goodness of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I've lost where I'm at here. The last one is hope. We got to keep the hope. He's not done working through you. Ephesians 2.10. I tell every every graduate, every person, write it in there. Ephesians 2.10. Jeremiah 29.11. I know that God knows the plans that he has for you. Thoughts of goodness and Thoughts of peace and a future and a hope. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship. Turn to somebody and say, you are God's workmanship. Say, you're not a piece of work, you're God's work, amen? <laughs> we're God's workmanship, we're his masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. The functional things, the pleasing things, the things that God had in mind. Whenever he created you, he already had good things for you to do. Got places to go, people to see, and things to do. Good things. Everybody say, good things. Amen. I just want to get rowdy today. Come on, good things. Amen. Amen. I like it when Paul says, I fought a good fight. <laughs> Amen. Put up a good fight. You win, you win. Uh, it's good. Amen. Paul put up a good fight. He was a winner. And he says, now I'm going on to get my reward. I'm going to get my prize. And when I get the prize, when I get the trophy, when I get the belt, when I get the whatever it is, I'm going to lay it at the feet of him who created me to do the good things. Wow. Man, we don't lose the hope. You're not a hopeless case. You're not a hopeless cause. Amen. And furthermore today, I want to tell you, He's not done in your situation where you're at right now. He's not done with what you're facing. He's not done. You might have disappointment, discouragement, despair. It might seem hopeless. It might seem dark. But he's not done yet. And that's what we have to keep looking at. That we know that God is not done in me. God is not done for me. And God is certainly not done through me. Amen? He's not done in your story; he's got a good ending for it. I tell you what—I—I—I I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. We were getting some things and cleaning up areas and everything. We were in the back, and there was these stone pavers that I had, and I had stacked them up, and there was about four of them high, and four or five of them. And I looked at Tess. She said, "You need me to help you get down there?" And I looked at her and said, "No." I said, "These are the same shape they were in three years ago when I stopped, when I couldn't do anymore." because I can remember laying those down there, and from that point on, it got bad. And in my story, I'm just giving you my story from my perspective. I wondered at that point, God, are you done? Am I done? Is this it? Is this going to be the end? Am I just going to fade out or whatever? Is it the end Whenever, when I got to the place, and, and Sam and Junior, they came over here and built a ramp for me to get up here because they didn't want me to have to settle down there. And I rode the scooter up here. I got up on top. And without anybody looking, I'd have people help me get out of the the chair and into a stool, a comfortable position. Because I didn't want anybody to see me in that condition. And I would think and I would question. The devil would put thoughts in my mind. Well, you're done. You're done. You're done. Heather would send me a song. He knows my name. He knows my name. (laughs) And he walks with me and he talks with me. He leads me, guides me, takes me to that place. And I kept saying, God, if you're not done, I'm not going to stay like this. And it was that hope that I knew that says your word still heals. Your grace is still sufficient. Your power, to, your power to save, heal, and deliver. And God, I need to be brought out of this. I don't care if it's a miracle through, through supernatural abilities or send me to someone who understands what's going on. And within three weeks of writing my prayer out in January, he led me to a doctor who was, who was sought out after from every, everybody I talked to. They said, well, they told me there's only one surgeon you, need to, you could go to that could do this. And they call out Dr. Molina and everybody'd say, oh, that's Roy's. That's Roy's like You know, like I have the... I get no commission. But anyway, nonetheless. But God led me to somebody. And that's what I told him that day. He says, it's a long process. It's hard. It's risky. It's dangerous. I didn't quite understand that. But Teresa and Tori and Tess and Brooks, they were all at the house that day. He FaceTimed them and told them the risk. He says, we go, have to go around vital organs. There's a risk of puncturing them, causing problems, and even the heart and all the things like that. It's going to be a long road, 11 hours. But, uh, you know, we could do it. Or we could do something else that may not work. And he says, what do you want to do? And I said, doctor, I believe in God. I believe in miracles. I believe he answers prayer. And I prayed that God would send me someone. And I said, apparently that someone is you. I'm going for it. He stuck out his fist. And we had that rocky moment right there. (laughs) Successful. He's still not done. He's still not done. I said I'm going to play softball one more game. Amen. I'm going to do it. One more time. My family said, no, you're not. (laughs) For the 30th year, I guess yesterday, I had the privilege of riding in the baseball parade. And as always, we end up at Wilson Park. And somewhere I'm in the process, I, I mean, even in the uh, the scheme of things of throwing the first pitch or catching the first pitch or umping the first pitch or swinging a bat at the first pitch. And uh, anyway, I said, guys, you know, I'm not ready for that this year. This year. And I had thought of ways that I could bat. I could go like this and put, put that there and swing one-handed. I could do that. I thought about it. But I wasn't so upset when al hrabowski how many of you remember al from the 70s with the st louis cardinals the mad hungarian you know well anyway he was the grand marshal so it's happened a few times like about a few years ago i was with uh tess and brooks they were and, and mike they were over in tory they were all over to albert pool's gala putting it on and i was just kind of hanging out enjoying the, the the moment and i was sitting out in the lobby and uh a guy, two guys are talking, this is going somewhere, anyway, two guys are talking, older guys, and uh, older than me, and maybe not. Anyway, they, <laughs> they looked older. Anyway, one of the guys comes over and he says, hey, Al, we really enjoyed your time with the Cardinals. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think I'm who you think I am. <laughs> he says, oh, no, you can't hide. He said, they said Al is gonna be here tonight. I go, I'm not Al Rabowski. My middle name is Albert, but that's not it. This has happened several times. I've had choice seats given to me by ushers. Come on down here, we got places for you. Okay. So yesterday I met the real Al. He was the Grand Marshal. In fact, he told me, he says, if my mustache was as white as yours, I would shave it off. <laughs> we had a good time we had pictures together but I said so are you going to throw out the first pitch he goes don't tell anybody this he says but I got a torn rotator cup I couldn't throw the ball if I had to and I says well we're in the same boat (laughs) I can't hit and I can't run but we'll enjoy the day but I'm telling you one day I'm going to bat again I believe it that's I got my eyes set on that thing right there God's not done in me not not done for me and he's not done working through me amen I look for that moment and that time. God's not through in your story either. You might be stuck. You might be settled. You may have stopped. But don't stay there. God has something better for you. Amen. Would you, would you stand to your feet? Maybe you're here today and you've got things that you're worried about your family. And it seems like you've been praying. And those, in I mean, we, we, we sang that song walking around these walls. I thought by now something would have broken, but it hadn't. But I trust in God. Whatever it is, whether it's a sickness, uh, a condition, a spiritual condition, maybe it's just something that you feel like it's been put on hold. It's just been put on stop, that God's not doing something. He's working even when we don't see him. He's the way maker, a miracle worker, the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. He separates that. And I'm going to pray that the darkness separates in your life that the light becomes uh, uh, revealed and opens up to you. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want, you, I want to ask you today, if, you, if you'll just be honest, be honest at where you're at. Some of you are at the place where you felt, have felt like you thought God was done, that it was through, you had to stop here, you had to settle there. Is there anybody here today? Would you lift up your hand? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Praying for family members. Anybody? Come on. Maybe in your... Your, your career or in, in the process of your life, whatever it is. Maybe it's in a relationship. Those who are watching by uh, Facebook today or on YouTube, God's not done yet. Give him the rest of it. Humble yourself before God and hunger for what he's got for you and have hope that he is faithful who has promised these things. I want to pray with you and for you today if I can. As I pray, I want you, if you would, please repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. Your word separates darkness from light. Chaos from the calm. And Lord, I ask right now that you would turn your light inside of my heart. And help me to see what I'm lacking. And I call upon you now to fill the void with Jesus, your only son. I declare and and decree that even over my family, over my loved ones, over my friends. Right now, complete your work in them. In Jesus' name. Father, I just ask you right now over every person that prayed that, that it's truth that it becomes revealed. And miracles begin to happen upon what they have confessed and professed today. That you save, you heal, you deliver, you empower, you, give, uh, uh, you take them out of that place of being stuck into the place that you have of moving forward. They're not spinning wheels any longer. Thank you, God, for that. And Lord, I pray that there are those that maybe they have visions and dreams and they thought they'd have to give up on those. They thought that they were put aside. Maybe they thought that they blew it. Uh, maybe they thought that they over, uh, just passed it over or didn't consider whatever's inside of them. I pray, God, that they realize that what's in them is bigger than what's around them and they have to break out. And I, get, I pray, God, today that you are the breaker, that you break down the walls, break open the doors, break through the darkness, break through every opposition for that to come forth and release inside of them the good thing that you have in store for them. I declare and I decree it in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone say, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and give them a high five or a fist bump or a handshake or whatever, a hug, and just say, good things are in store for you. Amen? Good things are in store for you. Amen. As you leave today, may you go with the blessings of God. Please go to the tables back there. Write down, I'm going to be at at the tailgate next week, I'm going to bring so you know however many people, uh, and we you want a place for it because we want to have a good time next Sunday out in the sunshine, the good good fresh air that the Lord's given us. Amen.